Building out technology infrastructure for many companies is a huge challenge. And if you aren't a large enterprise, you often lack the expertise to satisfy the needs of your business. Today, we're talking with a company that has a platform that can deliver that functionality with a simple interface and automation to help you manage it. So stay tuned. everybody, this is Chris Brandt here with Sundish Patel. Welcome to another future podcast. Today we have with us Kevin Dominic Corta, president of Univention North America. The company's core product, Univention Corporate Server, is an open source platform that provides an integrated identity and infrastructure management system, making it easier to administer applications, users, and resources. So we're gonna talk with Kevin about Univention and about what it takes to build a company around open source. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being on. I'm excited to talk to you. I want to find out all about UCS, and I am really curious as to what life is like on the inside of a company that is uh, basically selling open source uh, software. Uh, but before we get there, could you tell me a little bit about like what is Univention? What's the founder's story? Um, you know, all that stuff. All of us know how we start our workday. We log into the computer, we log into our email, and for you probably, you log into your scheduling or your podcast software. <laughs> what we do is we make sure that you only have to log in once instead of five different pieces of software where you have to go in. And that when you send me a scheduling email, it comes from Chris, not from no reply at scheduling software. <laughs> and in the back end, that's what identity management is about, making it easy for the user and automating away all that kind of having to set it up five times. When your company is audited for all the various compliance and regulatory things, the first thing that the auditors always ask about is identity and access. Password policies, multi-factor. So you guys are kind of focused on, uh, on like more of the SMB commercial market, correct? Actually, we personally do the bigger commercial contracts, uh -huh. the big call centers, government contract schools is our big part in UCS at school. And then we have a partner network who does most of the, the smaller ones. Because if you're a smaller SMB, you want someone who takes care of not just your identity, but your email, your computer, plugging right. in the hard disk. Well, and I got to imagine a lot of, you know, for some of the groups that you mentioned there, I got to imagine there's... Um, you know, a certain appeal to the the idea that what you're doing is open source, right? Um, could you talk a little bit about like what it's like building a company around an open source product? When we went open source, the uh, story from our developers, they were really afraid of doing that <laughs> because it means someone can look at what you actually did and see, oh my God, it's uncommented, it's spaghetti code, it's... All these things that programmers don't want to be known for. Yeah, open source keeps you honest. Yes, as you said, it keeps you honest, keeps you on track, and it makes you think of, okay, where can I cut back so someone is not, ugh, what did that guy do here? Well, and I got to imagine, you know, like having access to a broader range of resources too um, is helpful. And, and you know, like, like you said, I think, you know, open source, to release a project as open source requires, you know, a certain level of documentation and, you know, testing and all that kind of stuff that, that goes into a project. And like you said, people are going to look at it and, you know, judge you. <laughs> it, it's a give and take. Uh, yeah. But if you, as a company, build something open source, okay, you have to engage with all the little pieces which run in the background. You have to put resources into them, help them keep the projects alive. 
yeah. and not be uh, with a cartoon uh, the big open source world and then that one developer in Kansas who writes a critical software piece. <laughs> well, and you know, and that, and it's, it is amazing. I mean, we have seen that over the years where there is like that one lone developer who's got the weight of the world on their shoulders with like one critical piece and then they drop dead. They end up in prison, which has happened a couple <laughs> times. You know, they, they just disappear because under, you know, strange circumstances, <laughs> you know, Retirement is right now a big wave in the open source software community. You're not allowed to retire. <laughs> what, what kind of developer retires? <laughs> the guy who wants to spend time with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually an important thing. I mean, you get, like coming to that work-life balance is absolutely critical. Um, have you found like I, I think it's um, you know a lot of for a lot of people they feel like if you don't own the core intellectual property that you know, like, well, somebody's just going to go and do this on their own. And then, you know, and then what's our value proposition? But it really doesn't play out like that at all, right? No, it doesn't. Uh, because either people are very small, then they might not have the budget and you wouldn't win them as a customer anyways. Right. They are so big that they have the huge departments to run it. And okay, you might not be a fit for them, but they use your product. And for them, then comes into play that they push features back to us and then all that in the middle they are normally business people are close enough to think okay we need software assurance we need indemnification from legal threats so it's really not a problem for for a company to run open source yeah. i like what you're saying there because it's sort of about like you know we're going to deliver a quality of service to the customer rather than holding them hostage over us, you know, holding proprietary code that, you know, they get stuck in. You, you have to validate why you're there. And if support doesn't work, then they say, okay, well, your support is not working. We don't need to pay for it if it's not working. So they can walk away and continue using the product. Wow, yeah, that, that really makes you have to work hard. That's for sure. So tell me about UCS. Um, so UCS is Univention Corporate Server, right? Um, tell me about what it's, Univention Corporate Server is. In the heart, it's a directory of your users and your their identities and what services they use. So the idea that you log in, have a point of first contact with your IT, and go from there, okay, here is my mail client. It's the same because UCS provisioned it. Yeah. And for the administrator in the backend, it's okay, I'm only putting it in once. And the server takes care of that five, six, seven pieces of software have the same information that if someone leaves the company, that they don't have that information anymore because you don't want a former employee to log in and, <laughs> oh, that's really something I need for my new job. Right. Well, and I, I think that hits the core of why identity management systems are so important, why auditors are like so um, interested in how, how you're managing all that identity and access. Um, because it is a, a main security vector um, to, to pay attention to, right? It, it's the gate. Yeah. Really, behind the gate is the whole city of application of intellectual property of data, which you don't want to flood out into the market. If it happens, you send out these little letters. Okay, here's your $5 for your our latest data breach. <laughs> right. There's a lot of talk these days about ransomware, right? And ransomware generally involves at some level some compromise of uh identity right um but then then there's another piece of it which is business email compromise which is kind of what you were 
alluding to there where like, you know, somebody gets into your system and claims to be somebody from your organization or like, Hey, here's a, here's a $10,000 invoice. We need to pay right, right now to this, you know, account. 82% of all cyber attacks are via a compromised identity. So wow. Someone using the same credentials for their work account that they use on Facebook or the biggest data reach last year, Red Cross, if they have a login there and use the same password. That's really an easy way in. 82%, that's 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 mm -hmm. a high high number. Managing something like that for a lot of businesses that don't have the resources of a large enterprise can be, it's hard for a large enterprise. I mean, it's fantastically hard for a large enterprise too, but I mean, they have dedicated resources to doing that. I mean, if that's not like the core competency of your business, you know, trying to manage those types of things is tough, right? It's also one of the tough things because if it works, you don't notice it. Right. If it doesn't work, the whole house keeps falling down. Well, that's the problem with IT. You're, the The best day is when nobody notices you. Yeah. <laughs> Another aspect of the uh, UCS, you know, there's a few things that you really focus on. One is kind of the the ease of use and the automation that you 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 bring to the game. Can you talk a little bit about that? We all have signed up for mailing lists and forgot a A or an E in our mm -hmm. names. Uh, it's, now imagine you sign up 50 interns starting tomorrow at your business. If you do it once, okay, you might get it right. If you just import the list via tool, you certainly get it right. If you have to import them into the computer, into the mail system separately, into your file storage, you're almost guaranteed that there's half of them wrong. So the automation really is making sure, okay, I can just give it the list on the system and behind imports it's in all the different systems. Locations, if we think about, okay, no more deals with Russia, no more foreign employees in Russia. Red flag. Going through that, manually finding, automating that, making it easy to use just takes pressure off of you. Plus, I haven't found an IT person who says, I really like putting <laughs> the same account into seven different systems. Can you talk a little bit about um, what 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 are the parts of UCS? Like, what goes into it? On the bottom, it's a, I like to say a simple open LDAP server, because if you work with it 10 years, it it's really just a structured directory. I don't want to look into the code to see how complex it really right. is. And then you have a management system, web-based, so you can use it from your phone and you don't have to run back to the office to say, oh, let me reset your password. We have components to get clients in. Despite bring your own device, most companies still give you a laptop or a desktop to work on. And then it's really an interface for partner products to come in. I like to say be useful because the end user doesn't, doesn't want to play with the directory, they want to send emails, they want to store files, really enabling other really cool open source software to be automated, to integrate into the business world as one of the core provisions we have for our partners. What you're referring to there is is the app center that you have there. Is that correct? Yes. Talk, talk, talk a little yeah. bit about what what's all in there. Well, we have from simple file sharing, like Nextcloud and OwnCloud are probably the most famous one, to collaboration, um, Collabora, if you want to run your own Google Docs alternative to the hardcore 30 million mail accounts, open exchange version, build your own business in a box or in a, in a network out of it if you want to. So App Center, it sounds like it's kind of like an app store and, you know, like Apple's app store or something like that, right? It's like, or, you know, like yeah, it, marketplace, one of the marketplaces or one of those or VMwares. It, it does exactly the same. 
you install it with one click, it gets integrated into the management. So you don't have to do the bane of open source work, which is go into the configuration file and figure out what each line means. So, and then of course, lifecycle management, updating it down to if needed, uninstalling it, which is I think one of the most appealing. Yeah, that can be, that can be a challenge sometimes. Yeah, so uh, so basically, you're you're handling all that configuration stuff. Is that like done through wizards and things like that? And you guys wizards, if needed, in most cases, it's just done in the background because most of the information is there. It's not like you're going to choose suddenly a different email address for your next business tool. Right. You want the same one to go everywhere. Right, right, I'm right. curious to get your perspective on what is a, a culture like of a company that is you know, uh, providing the type of security solution, but from an open source perspective, wh what does that mean? Like what, what, what kind of culture comes with that kind of organization? I think in many cases, culture influences these kind of decisions because if you close down, if you have these famous department infights. Uh, if you think that was an interesting SKCD where everyone was pointing the guns at each other, then it's hard to do open source because you would be afraid of, okay, someone's going through my code, making sure that I don't do anything wrong versus what you really want to have is if that happens, be it a learning experience to grow with it. And so you really have to embrace being open when you want to be an open source company. So you can't hide behind contracts. You can't hide behind, oh, and our HB says that you can't disassemble our code. Yeah. You have to really say, okay, if we screw up, you can see it. <laughs> and we have to learn from it. We have to react fast to it. We can't bury it under paperwork. And so that trickles down and everywhere, down to discussion over business decisions. You have to talk about them. You can't say, okay, we made the decision. Happy for everyone else in the company to just follow along with it. Yeah, I would yeah. imagine like as like trying to lead a there's a little bit of cat herding involved in an open source project, I would imagine, because you gotta kind of get consensus from people, right? You have to get consensus, you have to get people involved early. And um biggest problem is of course always if you remove features which no one uses, there's one or two people who use it, who have it as it's our most mission critical thing. <laughs> of course. And taking these people along, making sure you keep the community alive, making sure you deal with suggestions, deal with code contributions, which in a closed cell environment, you can just say, oh, you can't see the code. So no one outside the company can do anything. You have to have ideas in place how to do it. And you have to also have the right perspective in place to say, uh, sorry, that doesn't work like that, and do it in a way that they still give you the next contribution. Right. Well, it sounds like that uh, what you're describing is a very collaborative environment, which I, which I don't know always exists in a lot of organizations. So if that you know, I think that's a that's a nugget for me to take take away is. That's the the benefit of a of a culture of open source, right? Because you're 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 thinking so differently about everything, the entire organization. Yeah. Yes, but it also takes work. It's not just okay. Here's our open source software, and the culture builds around it. Yeah. In the end, we're all individuals. Some have strong opinions about some things. Yeah, but you want that, right? You want that in the uh, in the in that open source world. You want to put 
people to push themselves and you want them to think out of the box and be creative. Passionate. Yeah. And you want them to feel hurt. That's just, I think, in, in a lot of settings, there's someone who speaks, but no one who listens. <laughs> yeah, That's... I've been in those meetings. A lot of people <laughs> speaking and not anybody listening. <laughs> so you've sold this to a bunch of companies. I got to imagine there's like some really interesting you know, success stories you guys have with, with some of the, the companies you worked with, right? We start with the biggest one. It's over in France, Orange, the French telecom provider. Huge provider. Which uses it for their mail system. It's still 30 million accounts is something which hardly possible to warp your head around. Yeah. For me personally, it's the more smaller technical intricate. Um, we have in on the East Coast, uh, dermatology partners, a dermatology office with like 28 or so offices and seeing their inner workings and seeing how they then get kind of affected by the passion about it and go on like, oh, maybe we could use that component in there and that one. It's just that really the personal relationships which make it very interesting and see the technical possibilities because you're then like, I've never thought about using it for that. On the orange piece, um, orange is obviously a huge provider. I mean, and not just to France, but I mean, in Europe in general too. I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of all over the place a bit, right? Um, what was it that about, about UCS that was particularly appealing to them? I think it was the scalability and extendability. It's not like you can get any software for managing 30 million identities off the shelf. Right. And especially if you need to consider, okay, integration in legacy software, partnership with the mail piece, Open Exchange was certainly a big role there. And kind of all these things which fit together. But in the end, it was, okay, can you scale to 30 million mailboxes or can you not? Well, that, that is quite a lot of mailboxes, I, I have to have to admit. So that's, that's uh, it's good to note that, you know, like the scalability of the platform. Um, so, like, you know, you've 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 kind of been building. The, you guys aren't haven't been around that long, have you? When, when did you guys get started? Two thousand one. Two thousand one. Okay. Well, yeah, so I've been around. 20... God, it's like yeah. uh, you know what? I'm getting old, so like, <laughs> two thousand doesn't seem like that long ago. If you said 70, <laughs> 1972 or something, I'd be like, oh yeah. yeah. Um, no, so so you guys have been kind of cranking away at this for a while here now. Um, what where do you see this going next? What's next for Univention? I think we see a lot of potential in slowly into the cloud and containerization business. I don't know how familiar you are with hype cycles. We had that okay, <laughs> huge cloud and thing, and now you get the okay, putting everything in the cloud doesn't actually help our bottom line. The trough of disillusionment. It help us. The disillusionment, and so we 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 see now the point actually where okay. It makes sense to really focus on that to build that because people are getting away from all the weird ideas that it will solve all problems. Yeah, I got to imagine from an app center perspective, um, having you know containerized services has a has a strong appeal. Now that so much of it is being delivered as containerized services, it's also how the hardware has developed, especially in the last five or six years with. Basically, professor, processor cores getting thrown at you instead of the beforehand uh, the speed of the processor increasing. Right, that makes containers especially appealing. And GPUs too. GPUs uh, thinking about how to integrate that, especially if you think then about encryption and well, 
passwords, really, where the GPU can do these complex operations much faster. It sounds sounds cool. So if somebody wanted to get uh, the Univention corporate server, where would they go to to find it. The download button on our website, univention.com. <laughs> Univention.com. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put a link here. Definitely the place here. to get it. Where is it. Where's that link? I, I never know which side. I think it si ends up on this side. I'll put a link uh, there or down here, and then I'll put something in the show notes for everybody. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it sounds exciting. Uh, I, it sounds like it's, it's a fairly straightforward process to get it up and running um and, and get going with it so uh go out there and 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 try out uh ucs you can only say no if you tried it not <laughs> yeah, yeah thanks so much kevin for being on and and thanks so much for telling us about univention and uh you know good luck with everything you guys got going on and uh and hopefully uh you know this this open source thing works out <laughs> yeah. it has for the last 20 years it yeah. will for the next i'm sure about that <laughs> the last thing standing I guarantee you will be open source. <laughs> so thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Thanks for watching. I'd love to hear from you in the comments. And if you could be so very, very kind to click on that subscription button, because that genuinely helps the channel a ton. And I would be so personally grateful. So go click it. Thanks. And I'll see you in the next one.